0: Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. It's another plebcast with Orion, who joins me today. We've got to know each other in the the back channels of Bitcoin, Twitter and little side groups that have been set up by other uber pleb, Alvaro San Martin. You can go and follow him as well. Big shout out. Thank you, Alvaro, for setting this group up. We've got a lot of friends here and we are building our own little tribe. I'm sure many of you plebs are doing the same on Twitter or Telegram, wherever you might be doing that. It's huge. Make sure you're connecting. These are weird times and you need good people by your side. Now, before we do the show, do you want to get to the conference? If you do, make sure you please check the medical medical requirements. People keep checking with me. Basically, you have to be vaccinated to get into the US of A, as far as I understand it. Check it every day. Don't buy a ticket if you can't get there. But if you do want to go, and you can find a way to get there or well, you're already in the U.S. You've got no excuses. Get a car across to Miami, April to 6th to 9th of April. It's a four-day event. Day one is for the movers and shakers of the Bitcoin space that are going to be building the next set of Bitcoin companies. You want to go there, you want to network, and you want to meet people. This is the day for you. Two and three are going to be the big surprise events and the big talks. Uh, Bukele is going to be there, who keeps impressing me with uh, especially his trolling of Canada tweets. And uh, of course Sailor and Elizabeth Stark, Jack Mallers, Adam Back and everybody else that you know in the space, they're going to be presenting. Day 4 is a sound money fest, headlined by rapper and fellow Bitcoiner, Logic. Steve Aoki, CL, Run The Jewels, San Holi. and I've been saying this wrong the whole time. It's not Deadmau5, it's Dead Mouse. I've been informed. By today's guest, go check it out. Use code BITTEN at checkout for 10% off, or hit the link in the show notes. And of course, support the show sponsors. You've got Swan Bitcoin across the pond who have supported this show from the very beginning. Big shout out, Corey and Yan, really appreciate it. Start stacking in the US if you're not, or up your game with Swan Bitcoin hit the uh, link in the show notes all of the companies are here in the show notes and you can also stack across Europe same kind of service with Relay R-E-L-A-I dot or BitcoinReserve.com BitcoinReserve.com can help you tie on big buys too, 50 grand or more make sure you are getting exposure to Bitcoin in the right way, they offer a white glove service. Coincorner.com are going to help you out, euros or sterling. They've got some big announcements coming up. Fingers crossed, very very soon. Another great Bitcoin company. And make sure you take control of your coins. This is the most important thing you need to do. And all of the aforementioned companies would agree with me. Get a hardware wallet. You can get the Bitbox 02 hardware wallet. It's a Bitcoin-only edition from Shift Crypto, Swiss-made kit shiftcrypto.com, excuse me, .ch forward slash Bitson, and and they have you covered. You will take control of your coins and your keys, whatever you want to say. They will be yours. No one can take them away. This is the Bitcoiner ethos. Don't leave anything to chance. I hope you enjoy this episode with Ryan. Thank you for listening. As you heard, Ryan, we have recording in progress. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, real good, Daniel. How are you?
0: Very well, very well. And uh, for the listeners, uh, just uh, to put a little bit of context on this, uh, Uberpleb, Ryan and I uh, met each other through um, another plebs uh, initiative, uh, the Bitcoin Minds Studio from uh, Alvaro, who started that up. Uh, So big shout out to Alvaro and all the other guys that uh, that joined on that call. It's been great getting to know each other on that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's been really informative. It's been helpful to to talk with other Bitcoiners on their learning process and, and just dive deeper down this rabbit hole and start to understand Bitcoin and you know, the corruption that we face in society on a deeper level.
0: So let's set this up, where, where are you?
1: So right now, um, I'm in Germany. I've been here since I flew in when the first lockdown started to happen at the very beginning of the pandemic. I've been pretty nomadic up until then. And so for the last two years, I've, I've been here in, let's say communist Germany, it's, it's pretty scary what's going on right here right now I know you're experiencing a lot of the. The things that are going on in Europe, I don't know if a lot of people in the States really fully understand and grasp what's happening here and, and how strict some of these measures are, but we can we can go into that and talk about that later um, but yeah uh, it's it's been eye opening to say the least.
0: So you have the American accent going on. So let's, let's figure out, you know, where did you grow up and what led you to becoming a bit nomadic uh, and then eventually turning up in Germany?
1: Yeah. So um, I grew up in the Midwest in the States and uh, yeah, um, grew up kind of a bit outside the city, farm country. Um, We had a, have a small little hobby farm where i grew up Um, my dad has always really taught us how to you know be self-sufficient to question everything including authority and so i kind of got my whole independence and um, libertarian kind of mindset from him He introduced me to like Ron Paul when he was running for president and, and all that. And since then, you know, I've, I've always seen kind of the absurdity that is people who are completely right oriented and completely left oriented. So I guess that's the first time I kind of started to get into politics and then, yeah, uh, if you know, Bitcoin, you know, like libertarianism and Bitcoin are kind of one in one At, at, at least they lean similarly in the political spectrum, if you will. Um, so yeah, I, I went to engineering school, did the whole come into the office nine to five for roughly five years. And I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, I enjoyed the work I was doing. I enjoyed creating products and figuring out, you know problem solving and things like that. But I despised the, you must be here. You must be showing that you're sitting at your desk and you must be here from nine to five, and it doesn't matter how productive you are. It doesn't matter how much work you're, you know, actually providing to the company or to society. It, what matters is that butts are in seats for this allotted time. And uh, the company I was working for, they uh, they started to implement this, like, they, they design office spaces and office furniture, and they decided to implement this new system that they had, where it could track your, how long you were sitting at your desk when you were there. So it could kind of start to track the company um, um, employees, and how long they're, they're at their desk and stuff like that. And that's when I was just like, okay, this is, this is getting a bit too ridiculous for me. We're not measuring people on their productivity. We're measuring people on the time. It, It just, it's ridiculous. So that wasn't the only reason, but I decided to start to. I wanted to take my time back, and a bit more freedom back, and I was feeling pretty unfulfilled in life. I ended up finding, you know, the whole Tim Ferriss four-hour work week, and started going down that rabbit hole of being a bit nomadic, not having so many possessions, and finding a bit more freedom in uh, having less. You know, so back in 2017, I decided to sell almost everything I had except what I could fit into a backpack and head down one-way ticket to South America. Uh, Started in the Amazon jungle and just made my way around the northern part of South America for about five months. And it was then that I started to kind of take in, I I started to educate myself on finance and, and because I knew that that was important and I knew that my old 401k retirement savings plan. I kept looking at it and it really wasn't doing that good. And I just thought if I keep that going the way it is, I can't really retire. Like it's, it's not going to work. I'm going to have to take this job onto myself as well. So started learning about finance and being the libertarian mindset, uh, you know, gravitate towards Bitcoin that, that, that orange pilling was pretty easy for me.
0: When you left the job, what, did, you, uh, did you have to face down like um, a lot of criticism from friends, family, peers? Uh, like, what are you doing? How can you walk away? There's so much work and effort you've done that you've put in to get to this point.
1: You know, a lot of people, surprisingly, I, I was surprised at how many people were, the response was, man, I wish I could do that. Mm. I, mean, I wish, like, that they had a lot of respect you know, a lot of people were like, it was a bunch of excuse making, you know, um, I have a family and like, I wish I could upend and leave. I have a house and stuff like that. And I was, you know, advantaged to be single and to not own a home at the time. And, you know, I could, I mean, I had a bunch of possessions to sell and, you know, I had to stop bills and it was a risk for me, but, um, you know, all of my peers and and coworkers, they all shared that mentality of knowing like, I get it. Like this is, there's something wrong here, you know? Um, And just knowing that I can always go back to that, that job will still be there or a similar one like it. So why not take this little mini retirement and see what happens? And in fact, I think I will grow a lot more as a person and expand myself in a lot of important and different ways. I don't think I ever would have learned about finance and probably wouldn't have tried to educate myself on things like Bitcoin or writing or you know learning how to start a business, all all of these things, if I hadn't given myself the opportunity to do that.
0: 100%. Have we ever spoken about how the four-hour work week was, was my impetus as well? I don't think so, but I
1: figured because you're your book is all about, you know, that, that nomadic lifestyle, especially doing it. Like, that's an example of, you know, taking that excuse of, uh, I have a family, I can't do this, and just kind of squashing that and taking back your time and freedom.
0: Ah, i had been living behind those excuses for a long time, though. <laughs> you know? uh, but it was that book, you know, I picked that book up in November 2013. I read it. I don't know whether you did the same i got to the last page and i'm like what the hell this is blowing my mind i've got to read it again and i did that four straight times before i finally right no let we're going so it between november 2000 and march uh, 2013 and march 2014 was the time i picked up the book to time you know quitting uh, my career throwing the keys back at the um the, the landlord selling absolutely everything we sold the car on the day we were flying out it was you know down to the wire stuff um but yeah somehow we'd managed to obliterate all of those excuses and fears and you know kudos to tim i I know his book has has helped so many people in so many different ways Uh, and you know i would think i remember if i go back in time i remember thinking damn god I was 25 and single. This, this would just be so easy, but no, I was 37 married four kids <laughs> and a shit ton of stuff. But um, one of the most liberating life experiences ever, because as soon as that was done, as soon as you'd got through those excuses and got through the other side and we'd start the traveling, you'd never tasted freedom like it. Yeah, man. And, and
1: I mean, not only that, I, I think that's, what he points out as well is this is where the world's going. We're, we're changing the way we work. And people understand now how, you know, remote work, the advantages that it has because they were forced into it. But before the pandemic, I mean, that was a very new thing and risky thing. I remember having a conversation with my boss um, being like, you know, like, I'm willing to do this job. Can I do it fully remote? And they just weren't having it. And they would they would rather lose me as an employee than than to take that risk. I would have even taken a pay cut for that. You know, I was willing to do that, but at the time that was just crazy. Now it's
0: pretty normal. It um it's so true. And I remember doing the same thing with the the company I last left, uh, and I said, "Well, I can do this remotely. I've got a a mobile phone. I can. I've got a laptop. You know, what else do I need to do? I can stay in touch with." Um, with the markets, and I can service the same clients. Like, nah. Okay. So, all right. And thankfully, they said no. Um, but yeah, now, all of a sudden, come, um, you know, early 2020, everybody in that line of work just picked up their Bloomberg terminals, took them home and did their jobs from home. So it was never going to be an impossibility. It's just the mindset. And and the thing that, yeah. that really hit home for me with the four-hour work week was the, um, the idea of I was trapped and living what he calls a deferred lifestyle. Um, and that that just really hit home because you're deferring all of the stuff that you want to do until you're like 60 or 70. When you get to do that stuff and you're never going to enjoy it as much because you don't have the, uh, the, the physical ability to do it. And you're not doing it with the people that you love the most. And, you know, they're all gone and you're just missing them under your nose. And Tim doesn't have kids. So, you know, he he wasn't even really hammering home that point, but it was um, yeah, it was just too much to handle at at that point in my life to, to, to know that I had, um, you know, all the kids at home, they were just being shuttled off to school or different um, meetings or ballet or horse riding, whatever they were doing, you know, whatever families, busy families get pulled into. And my wife was handling all of that and I was getting home. And just collapsing into my dip in the sofa, and she was collapsing into her dip in the sofa. And we're like, "What? Like this is, this is nonsense. This is this is no life."
1: How how did the kids respond to to going from a, a settled one location place to to kind of always? Were you always on the road, or were you kind of doing these spurts of a couple of months here, a couple of years here?
0: Yeah, for two and a half years, we were on the road pretty much um, every week to two weeks, uh, just bouncing around um, home swap to home swap. So we didn't even know there was there were points in um, New Zealand. oh God, that, that country! Now um, where we yeah, didn't we even get know. That. Yeah, we didn't even know where we were going to be in three or four days. Uh, you know, a family of six, um, no roof over our head looming, and you know, you get creative pretty quickly um and the kids are way more adaptable than adults like yeah the the initial shock of telling them we're going to take you out of school at the point our our two oldest were eight and six so they they were kind of settled in school and you know like they had a a week or two of questioning (sighs) what no way we can't do this can't leave our friends but as soon as you get going it's a big adventure and you know you, you draw on each other's energy and it was um yeah it was great it was awesome
1: I mean, they, they would no doubt learn so much more by doing that than, than the ones who are learning the state-provided curriculum back at home, like all the other kids, but haven't really gone out and experienced what other cultures are like. And yeah, it's, it's an education you could never buy, you know.
0: Absolutely. And it's, um, again, it's something we're seeing a, a huge Uptick in um, th- this idea of homeschooling is not the right word. It gives bad connotations because people think you're just sitting at home with your kids at the kitchen table, you know, poring over books and following curriculum. That's not the idea of homeschooling or self-directed education or world schooling. It gets called now if you if you take your kids traveling around the world to uh, to show them, you know, that um, the, the different places and cultures that you're talking about. Um, that is a, a complete education, total. You know, it's experiential. You know, you're not looking at it at a book board surrounded by thirty other kids. This, this is, um, you know, it, it's it's tangible. You, you can sense it. You can smell it. You can see it. Uh, it has such a, a huge effect. And you would have found that um, when you went traveling yourself, right? Um, this is this is. I, I know a lot of Europeans poke fun at Americans. You know, like uh, you guys. I mean, there's a big percentage don't even have a passport. Never leave the country. You know, stuck in the echo chamber. What was it like for you, like uh, venturing out uh, and um, all alone? Well, one day, one day you're a nine to fiver, and then the next day you're just a backpacker. Well, it
1: was it, it. It's really weird for an American to do that. We have this culture that Europeans have figured out the advantage, and, and in Australians and they do that as well. Like the idea of a gap year. You know, you you take some you do all of your education. And then before you get into the workforce, you go experience real life, you know, you travel around for maybe a year and just, you know, experience what that's like. And the American culture is very, go to school. As soon as you're done, go to more school, pay for a lot of school and then get a job, stick with that job until you're 60. And with very little, um, time off very little vacation or maternity paternity leave if you look at the average of vacation time that americans get versus europeans or maternity leave stuff like that it's ridiculous like my my first job didn't give me any time off for the first year and then i got two weeks for the next five years it'd be two weeks a year and that's just it's insane to most europeans you know um, crazy and now we're moving to the to the point where, uh, you know, many progressive companies are are allowing you know unlimited time off. They understand that you need recovery, you need some time to to get yourself set back again, and you'll burn yourself out if you just keep working and working and working. So, anyways, uh, back to your question, yeah, like, yeah, it was it was risky. Uh, I was approaching my 30s, and. So I I also had a bit of confidence that it'll it'll be all right. South America has this this stigma that it's, you know, a bit dangerous and everything, but I've learned from enough other travelers talking to other people that anywhere you go has its own dangers, you know? I, I got lots of friends in Detroit where I'm nearby and Chicago and, you know, there's dangers there as well. And it's no different. Keep your head on a swivel. You use common sense and you'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, ran into dangerous situations and, uh, you know, I've have, have seen guns pulled on people. Luckily, no serious violence. Um, there's a time where we were in this park, just hanging out with a few friends and Medellin, Colombia, and then uh, the um, banditos uh, big gang of motorcyclists with guns just come roaring through and just everyone ends up scattering and friends I was with I was like what do we do they're like they'll just pass through it's all fine they just want to intimidate everyone to let them know that they're around and they're here and so it's you know it's a risk but but that experience you know let me know like okay things can get like this if things can get like this in this country things can get like this in my country, where I'm from, and it let me know that, you know, you're, you're not always as, as safe as you like to lie to yourself and pretend to be, you know, we're, we're all susceptible to being all of a sudden in a state full of corruption. And I think people are starting to see that a lot more now, you know, now that a lot of laws are changing and, and society is, is going through these huge shifts that we're going through right now
0: mental i mean look what's going on in canada we we we're, we're approaching two weeks of, of this this madness um where like the 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 sitting um uh, you know head of the country that they're calling for him to resign or you know wind back these rules and we, we, it, <laughs> he's not doing it like these are the people that you're supposed to you know serve um and all Did of you? these emergency laws that get pulled out of nowhere. It reminds me so much of Animal Farm, where yeah. the um, where the pigs, I can't remember the, the name of the pig that was doing it, um, would go out to the sta- the barn wall at nighttime, or when all the other animals were out working in the field, and just change one of the laws, just ever so slightly. And they would come back, and they would look at the laws on the stable wall, and like, uh, oh, Okay perhaps it was always like that. Yeah. It must be our bad memory. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Seems legit. <laughs> you know, this, it seems this is exactly what's going on. I mean, Orwell, man, like it's, it's nuts.
1: It really is. And, you know, but I have a bit of hope. It, the beginning of this whole thing, I was watching New Zealand, um, you know, and, and they, their New Zealand Herald, for example, would, would put out these stories and it was complete, Propaganda, in the sense, like it, it was so obvious that it was spun so hard one way, and then the people would just climb on and be like, they they would demonize someone for doing something that they didn't like and throw them under the bus, and all of the comments and all of the people are just like, yeah, throw them in jail, like extreme things. And but I've but I've watched until recently, um, there seems to be a shift, and you see it in Canada as well, and I think you're seeing more and more people kind of waking up to be like. All right, they've been been lying to us, and they haven't been fully truthful. And and it seems like you know they've they've shown their hand in a way, you know, um, which is hopeful. It's scary that they're now doubling down. I don't know if you saw what Trudeau and, and his cronies have done last night. Um, oh, they ahead. so they apparently are implementing a state of emergency. Um, which allows them to go a bit farther with um, their measurements. I don't know how legal this is. Apparently um, this, from what I've heard, this doesn't justify the actions that they're taking place, but they've, they're implementing all of the personal and companies uh, that are involved in having their company trucks there. Uh, they will figure out who you are, the, where the truck is registered, and freeze your financial assets, including digital financial. They point that out specifically as well. I don't know how they're gonna seize um, some digital assets. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but they've announced that that's, uh, that's the plan. Um, they, they point out, you know, GoFundMe and stuff like that. So, and that, and any time that they, they seize that, it will be under the protection of the, uh, the Canadian government that they're obliged to to go ahead and and freeze
2: their assets.
0: Oh my goodness.
2: I I mean, this
1: is the point I I tweeted this today. I mean, then they fight you. Right. I Mm -hmm. I think, I think we're at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're at probably the toughest time, but at least we're not, you know, we're at this turning point as well. So it's going to be a bit scary and, you know, hopefully it doesn't get too violent, but uh, I think, you know, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I try to be hopeful. Um, yeah, we'll see.
0: Well, you know, the guys already have um, the Hong Kong HODL uh, Bitcoin uh, fund in place. So hopefully... That's already made a lot of people aware. You know, the the people that are down there on the ground, and those people that are following the um following the whole, uh, you know, news cycle and and seen what's happened with GoFundMe and seen, even a normie can look at that um a pre coin or a noob, whatever you want to you know label people. We should probably not label that many people, but even somebody that doesn't know about Bitcoin can look at that and see that's completely wrong like that 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 shouldn't be happening. nobody should be al- allowed to you know reverse those payments or steal those payments. People sent that money in good faith. you know, agree or don't agree. It doesn't matter like that 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 but down to first principles, that money was collected for these people, and then to to have like the bitcoiner group come in and say, "We got you." And set up something completely alongside it, the parallel system, as we've been calling it for a long time, which you can't touch and you can't take away and is being held in multi-sig and will get to the people if and when they need it. And it sounds like they're going to need it pretty quick if they're going to have all of their assets frozen, then this is the time. This is the time where Bitcoin just stands up and like just orange (laughs) pills a nation.
1: It's it's. Kind of what needs to happen, isn't it? It's the best advertisement yeah. for Bitcoin and it's the and game the fact, theory. Yeah. And and I think so many people in Western society, they unless you voluntarily go out and try to study like and, and pay attention to what is happening in some of these underdeveloped countries where this is actually a common occurrence, this happens. It's almost good that it came at least as an example, that it came to a developed Westernized nations so that people can, can see, oh, this can happen here as well, you know? And once these CBDCs roll out and all that, I mean, it's just gonna show even more how dangerous that is and how much of a surveillance mechanism and control mechanism these CBDCs are, are gonna be.
0: Getting that across to, um, to people is still very difficult. Uh, You know, I've had conversations about them. People seem kind of aware of them. Maybe they've read a headline. Uh, But the general kind of thought is along the lines of the classic. Oh, yeah, well, it doesn't matter. Cash is all electronic anyway. I always use my phone. I always use my contactless card. I've got nothing to hide. The classic. I've got nothing to hide anyway, so it's not going to make any difference to me. And trying to help them understand, like, it's not about that it's about total surveillance and like, like you said you know nobody wants to be timed for the amount of time they're sat at their desk right that people would feel that was a little bit you know of an overreach from their boss you know my boss is spying on me he's like you know he's timing every second that i'm at my desk not many people are going to be happy with that well okay now people are going to know every single penny you've ever earned and exactly what you're spending it on and when you're spending it and where you're spending it and why you're spending it. And then they're going to start uh, attaching social credit scores to that spend. And then they're going to be able to cut you off whenever they want. Like these truckers are being, um, well, they're not even truckers anymore, right? These are just general people down there, like normal, normal people, like from all walks of life, you're going to have, you're going to be cut off at the knees, because you're standing up for something that you believe in uh over something you know as basic as freedom of choice these things are dangerous like they're really dangerous
1: i think people have forgotten why they're even there in the first place you know it's it's remember that it should be a crazy notion that that people say oh actually i I take care of myself. I'm. I, I've prepared my whole life for this by eating well and exercising and optimizing my immune system. I'm not saying like maybe some people need this pharmaceutical intervention. There's plenty of. There's plenty of great things. These these you know uh, these pharmaceuticals have have helped for many people. All good. Have the freedom to be able to to take advantage of that. I, I think, but. To force everyone to take the exact same thing, even no matter like what condition you're in, and no matter what age you are, what race you are, like you all need the same cocktail and you need it every couple of months. And never mind, we haven't tested this very much. Never mind the fact that most under regular testing uh, medications and things they. The FDA ends up stopping it and it doesn't actually go through like, I'm sorry, there's, there's, we could go so far down this and I am not a medical expert and I'm not going to claim to be but I, I don't think you need to be to understand that it is just wrong to say no you need this new thing that we just came out from one of the most corrupt organizations ever in history. Sorry. Um, we, yeah and i I just I find it so crazy that we even have to describe this to people
0: <laughs> it's like and if you wind back just a few years uh the the whole um do you remember the me too um huge uh, um, what what would you even call that movement, I suppose it was movement yeah, yeah, you know, built on yeah. very sound uh, obvious, like, um, you know, policies and, uh, and ethos, like, you know, like no means no, like my body, my choice. Like everyone was on board with that three years ago. No one's on board with that right now. <laughs> it doesn't make, it's like, what? It's madness. It's a religion,
1: isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. politics has become like Nietzsche said, it. you know, the, we've done away with god and and we've you never really do away with it. like humans are inherently religious you see even atheists are religious about not being religious and and politics is just a religion it's it's a belief system where your team has these certain structures and and so right now there's a team that is under the impression that we need to fight for this we need to fight to get everyone to take this pharmaceutical and and no matter what i'm not going to i'm not going to think about it i'm not going to think maybe this is i'm not going to think about the consequences of living in a world where that's normalized this is what my team does and i chose to be part of this team and man it, you read history you know how you know what path that goes down that goes down to complete Totalitarianism, complete authoritarianism, and yeah, it's, it's the most dangerous uh, path you can start to go down.
0: Talking of going down paths, let's go down your your Bitcoin path. Like so, you, you've you've left your nine to five, you've started traveling, you've started trying to uh, educate yourself around finance because you know your feet are held to the fire at that point, right? Because you've got whatever you've managed to save. You want to stretch it as far as possible. This is the, the conundrum I found myself in as well. And that's what led me to the Bitcoin rabbit hole because I was watching uh, God knows how many interviews. Real Vision had just started at that point, mm. way back in the day, when they were just putting out amazing long form content. Uh, that really helped me because they'd bought on some Bitcoin guys. Um, there was very little other material around at the time. How did you find it? And what was like that, that first epiphany, if you remember.
1: Bitcoin specifically, well, with the whole finance, like knowing that I had to learn about finance, this, this was a, this was a path that I had to go down. Like it, it just became clear to me that I was looking at all my peers, everyone around me who was doing the cookie cutter standard thing that by the time they retired, they were just good enough. You know, these jobs feed you just enough that it's inconvenient for you to quit, um, but you know, you're know you not gonna do well. You know, you're not gonna, you're gonna need, if you wanna really do well and take control of your, you wanna get financially free at some point, you have to pull the levers on your own a bit. And you gotta know how to do that. So you have to understand finance and this isn't something taught in school. I don't know why it's It seems very important. <laughs> and so i i had to I had to educate myself on that. Um, yeah uh, I mean I, I first heard about Bitcoin back in college. It would have been really early as early as two thousand ten or eleven. Um, but at that point, it's just this this cool idea, hopefully, like we could exist in a world like that someday. but Back then, it's just it's so uh, not established, you know. And even if I I wasn't technically savvy enough to even know where to start with that, but the years kept going by, and this thing would not die, you know. And and it was the ICO craze of twenty seventeen where people were really starting to talk about it, and so then I'm like, oh, I really got to start to understand cryptocurrencies, and so unfortunately started like I think many people, I think a lot of people think you start with Bitcoin and you work your way down. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think people feel like they missed it or that's old news and I want to win the lottery by finding the next latest and greatest thing because they've seen so many other coins run up. And I think I did that as well, but being uh, you know, a student of the Austrian School of Economics and actually, questioning what money is and human incentive. And I I just kept being pulled more and more toward Bitcoin until the point where it's just like, okay, I get what this is and I get what these are, all of these other cryptos and stuff. Um, I mean, I, I, it was a guy in South America who actually first introduced me to one of his coins. Uh, and I found it really interesting. And honestly, things could go this way, where it was like the, the Internet of Things um, application. So you know, your smart fridge or everything's going to be connected to the internet and they're all going to have to transact in some way. And this thing apparently solved that uh, by being quick and fearless and all that. And I was like, okay, that's cool, but as I continued to learn more about it, it's like, boy, if this actually catches on, this will be the most powerful and dangerous company. It, it will be a company. And then learning more about Bitcoin and realizing this isn't a company. This this is money for the people. This is this is DCIP, like this is the underlying protocol that is everything. And it's complete freedom money. And it became eventually a moral issue, you know where I understood morally, like we want to create a better world for the future. We need everything. We need this this base layer of truth, you know? And uh, that's when I really started to, to think, okay, this is powerful. Once I started to think about Bitcoin philosophically like that, that I, I couldn't stop. <laughs> learning about it. I couldn't stop educating myself on it. Once the pandemic hit too, and, and you know, you see, okay, here's, here's a big shift that we're going through. Um, Money printer is starting to go burr and, like crazy. And um, it was at that point where I was like, I understood Bitcoin is not only a good idea, it's completely de-risked. It's the least risky place where I could, I could store my wealth um and by that point I was all in and I was just like I need to keep learning about this and as as I learn about it my conviction just grows more and more and more I'm I'm trying to poke holes in my arguments and trying to poke holes in other people's arguments I'm listening to counter arguments and they all end up falling short you know Bitcoin could fail that that is still a A possibility you know it could lose belief um there's plenty of things that could happen but you compare it to any of these other systems especially any fiat system and it's just it's infinitely times better
0: it's so good timing uh because lauren's just walked in one one second and i've made some notes because i I was sensing her her moving outside so (laughs) i'll come back to what we were talking about but uh hi how are you is yours lauren this is ryan
1: Nice to meet you. I think I saw you um in one of our uh learning group sessions once, but I don't think we officially met, so yeah, it's really nice to see you.
2: nice to see you too. So um my dad says that you're a cowboy or something like that. Am I right? Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, I
2: yeah. <laughs> Well, like, like he said that you like you uh you do um you like uh, round the cows up and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you do. So um, my first question is, is it fun being a cowboy?
1: <laughs> I, I got to point out that, I, you know, it's probably not as glamorous as you might think. I'm not running around on horses with a lasso, mm-hmm. stringing up cows, pulling them all together. Um, you know, it's a lot of picking up the poo of the horses and and stuff like that. It's pretty dirty, to be honest. But what I really enjoy about it is, is that I'm so close to my food source. So our our cattle that we work with, they they only eat grass. They have lots of room to roam. They're not constricted to these, you know, small environments. We're not feeding them a bunch of medicine to to help keep them docile and you know calm and everything, they're as as natural as you can get, and we try to make sure that they have a really good life. And then that becomes our our fuel source, our food source. And knowing that a good portion of what I consume comes from them, uh, it it makes me feel really good, and and I know I'm not contributing to some of these mass farms that that don't do such ethical practices does that make sense
2: yeah and uh, my second question is why did you become kind of like a cowboy
1: (laughs) i i've always um you know i've really enjoyed nature i grew up on a small farm my dad taught me how to garden how to farm we grew up with goats and chickens and I've always done beekeeping with him. So we've raised bees and have extracted honey my whole life. And he really taught me to to, um, be close to my food source. And and so I've always had some kind of uh, aspect of of my life, uh, you know, making sure that I'm at least as self-sufficient as I can be with the food and and where my food comes from. And in the States, I, I live in Europe right now. So I've learned over the past two years that I've been here that the food here, the food quality, you can find bad food here as well. But the food quality here, a lot people are a lot closer to their food. and And the quality here, compared to what I'm used to, is infinitely times better. So you're real lucky you're in France and and probably the UK as well, because they're a lot closer to your food source. And I think that's a, a good way to live and it's important. And so I'm hoping uh, we're gonna go back to the States here soon. I'm hoping to be able to bring some of that, uh, some of those ideas to to my surroundings and the people that I, I live by.
2: Right, okay.
1: I have a question for you. Okay. You are, you're learning, so you're in kind of like this world schooling or, or you, you do like the whole, I don't want to say homeschooling because you dad is, you know, that's kind of like, you know, a word that people, I guess, don't use so much anymore. But, but your education is a bit different. I'm just curious what, uh, what are you working on right now that's, that's super interesting to you? Well, what's some of the, the stuff that you're, you're learning right now through your school?
2: It's
1: interesting. your dad said you were just doing something uh that you just came back from
2: uh yeah it was uh book nook it was uh it's it's basically like a 45 minute class and we just like do these fun games and read books on this website
0: and what if heidi does she ask you questions about the books and you have to explain what's been going on or, yeah 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 okay
2: well, the questions are in the books so
0: oh, okay yeah. and then you, she she has um you read out passages and then you discuss them, do you, with the uh the other kids?
2: Discuss? Them? No, we don't discuss them. No,
0: no. okay. We just read. <laughs> All right. And what about um today? You've got at twelve. Ryan, I find this one interesting. What's um what are you learning today about? I have the
2: uh, what's it called
0: again? Behind.
2: Behind the curtain. It's uh it's like. Uh,
0: what we call them again? it's um like a month-long um club uh discussing um life behind the iron curtain because the guy that's mm-hmm. uh, that's putting it together one of the facilitators and actually the co-founder from galileo he grew up in uh, romania and the guy that's uh, putting this together torsten grew up in germany
2: yeah like he mm-hmm. saw the wall every day
0: yeah he saw the wall every day and he was on the wrong side of it so between them, they've put together this whole. Uh, it's it's brilliantly done. Um, you know, they've, they've, he's uh, he has uh, a past in uh, journalism and TV. So they've put together like this documentary, and we were watching it. So you watched like the documentary first, and then the kids um, over four weeks they get to meet once a week and ask questions about this and what was life like, and
2: and we and we still learn about it.
0: Mm. What have you learned about that? that um, kind of like you find it pretty interesting what life was like for those people?
2: I think it was uh, very unnecessary to like put a big humongous wall in between them because they have families and work and other things that they need to, they need to do and what is important like um for example their mother and their brother's on that side and the mother's in the hospital and the brother's trying to work as hard as he can and then mm. the other the, like sister or brother can't do anything about it so
1: it's so important isn't it to to learn about these things that happened not so long ago and then we learn this lesson of hey maybe it's not so good to marginalize a specific group of people and let them have less freedoms than these other people. And then it's so funny how we forget these lessons so quickly. And then all of a sudden we got to relearn the lesson over again. So it's really cool that you're learning that.
2: Yeah. Anyways, I need to go eat. Okay. Plus I have a class 11 and then 12 and then one And then two and three i
0: put the violins away (laughs) do you find them all interesting
2: yeah uh japanese not that much but anyways i mean i i i choose to go or not if i if if i'm not really feeling very japanese (laughs) (laughs) if i don't feel like i have a big day today okay so i probably might not do it okay because i need a break
0: right well all the other kids that are in state school they're all on holiday just bumming around doing nothing no learning allowed during the holidays right yeah you (laughs) you could just (laughs) shut your brains off for two weeks
2: and then go back and then you forget everything Mm
0: -hmm.
2: yeah see you bye nice
1: to meet you lauren nice
2: to meet you too all
0: right before we go down the food rabbit hole which we're gonna do because (laughs) uh yeah the the listeners were like wait a minute what he's a cowboy yeah (laughs) that came out of
1: nowhere didn't it
0: (laughs) Uh, you were talking about um, being introduced to Bitcoin and um, these other coins, and you mentioned um, in South America coming up. Did, you, you were talking about IOTA, I'm guessing. The um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you meet someone close to the project, or just someone that was like stacking IOTA that was trying to shill it?
1: I mean, I think he was trying to shill it. He he was pretty close. Uh, he was Norwegian, and I believe. One of the founders was. Norwegian. Um, I think the foundation is out of Germany. I don't know. I've I've blocked a lot of that out of uh, my memory <laughs> by this point because it's becoming irrelevant. And I actually really kind of hope it doesn't catch on. And some of those solutions can be solved by you know uh, secondary or tertiary protocols that are built on top of Bitcoin for reasons that we know why. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I still talk to them from time to time. Um, yeah i it, yeah, it was iota. and uh, I don't know I, I think a lot of these things are interesting. I think we should be talking about uh, where some of these technologies will go in the future, but I mean, I, th- I just think it's so important that we we come down to the fundamentals yep. and and we keep this freedom technology at the base layer, you know and and I'm sorry, if you're gonna if you got a couple people making the decisions and pulling the levers. We're not we haven't shifted into a more free society. We've just that we've changed the legacy system to call it decentralized, but it's really not.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I've I've actually had to go on the show and I don't know if he still listens, but um was Shilling Iota likes um the the reason he, he couldn't invest in Bitcoin was he felt uh it was morally in- correct to invest in something that was so damaging towards the environment, which mm-hmm. I hope that FUD has been busted about a thousand times over uh, with the idea of, um, you know, proof of work. But then, you know, if you, if you reverse that same argument onto IOTA, like, you know, this, this moral question over if this becomes like just a huge and another huge monopolistic company, like what, what have we learned? What are we doing? Why are we here? What's the point? And, you know, what, what are you actually looking to uh, cash out for? Do you still have the dollar signs in the back of your mind that once this moons, I've got dollars, whereas Bitcoiners are like, it doesn't matter. I don't think in dollars anymore. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm not here for the dollars. I'm here for the Bitcoin. I'm here for the change. I'm here for the philosophy. Like, you know, you, you said um, once you start looking at Bitcoin philosophically, there's no turning back at that point.
1: It ends up not being about the money anymore. It ends up being about, I mean, hopefully you know you'll be rewarded financially as as it becomes more and more adopted. But there's this moment of enlightenment where you know you you don't care about that anymore. You, the, the greed is gone. you know it's it's the moral change. It's a societal change to to have uh, society be built on this foundation of truth. And nothing can be more
0: important than that. And John does a great job of this, uh, John Vallis. Yeah. Um, and you go through these these waves, everybody that's uh, has listened to the show for, for a certain amount of time will obviously be feeling this as well. You come in and it's all about number go up. We all know that. And you've still got the dollar signs in your mind because you're still looking at the price and converting. Or oh, if I've got X amount of coins and it reaches a million by 2030, then I convert that. And that's how much I've got. I mean. It's all kind of academic anyway, because we have no idea the purchasing power that's going to represent in twenty thirty as yeah. money becomes more and more worthless each day. Um, and then you're like, okay, well, I've just got to stack as much Bitcoin as possible because you know and I'm never going to send, I'm never going to spend it. I'm going to sell all my chairs, get as much as possible. You know, all of this uh, th- this fun stuff. And then you're thinking, I remember when, uh, like, um, people were talking about, oh, well, you can't buy coffee with it, you can't do this with it, you know, all that basic FUD. Like, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ever. Why yeah. would you ever do that? Why would you give up like the most scarcest asset for a cup of coffee? This makes no sense. And then along comes Lightning Network. And I remember John talking about this, uh, because he was of that mindset, like myself, just stack, just stack, just stack, never sell, never, you know, give it up. and his experience in El Salvador, explaining like, you know, once you, once you start interacting with it and buying your everyday purchases with it, the, the act of paying somebody with a Lightning Network Bitcoin payment shows, he felt like I'm respecting that person way more than I ever could if I was just giving them a dollar. Or what a, you know, convert that to whatever currency wherever you might be in in your head at this point. Um, that that act of giving a, across the Bitcoin, something that he knows is built on truth, it is respecting that person, their work, their time, their effort, and that was just a huge mental shift for him. And I found that really interesting.
1: Yeah, I I heard him say that as well, and I've been playing with that idea. Um, yeah, we. Where it it is like being close to your food source. when you eat that steak and you know exactly where that came from, man, I mean, like that's so much more meaningful. I think your body even interprets that as this is being really good for me. And when I pay this man for his hard work with the scarcest ass I ever engineered, like I, hey, man, here you go. this I really appreciate this.' this it's this um. The relationship is just so much more genuine. It's not throwing change across the counter, dirty change out of your pocket, you know, to, to pay for a cup of coffee, whatever. Like, yeah, there's meaning behind it. I'm excited. I, I haven't really transacted too much uh, in, in a way like that. I'm hoping to make it down to El Salvador at some point, maybe within the next year, just to experience that. You know, I've got lots of friends that have done that. And yeah, just for that experience. I'm hoping that that catches on. i trans i i I am working with um, someone uh, doing a couple of three d modeling projects with them and and they're uh, yeah, we're we're exchanging work within lightning. so I'm kind of getting a little bit of that experience. but uh, yeah, it'll it'll be nice when uh, when we'll everyone will kind of be doing that, you know
0: it's very cool i've managed to uh, orange pull my barber so i can go down there and get my haircut wallet of satoshi there you go and each time i go uh i'll be going again this week and i always look forward to it getting down there you know what's happened in his mind since uh has he been tracking the price you know what what, what new questions does he have uh, and then getting to that point of making the the transaction it's like 25 30 euros for me and my son to have my haircut i like you know me a year ago would have been no way in the world. I'll give you my dirty fiat. Now I enjoy giving him the Bitcoin because I know it's going to have an effect on him and have that knock-on effect. But I also, like John was, you know, talking about. You feel that it's just a much better feeling. It's it's hard to put a um, you know it into words. And I found a um, a farmer just around the corner from us here, so now I can get the grass-fed beef, uh, and it's just a fifteen-minute ride away, and I've. Picked up two uh, packages from him now, and each time I've offered to pay him in Bitcoin, and each time he just laughs it off. Uh, and it's—I know it's just that I got to keep trying, uh, and there's a bit of a language barrier going on as well. But um, we'll 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 get there, and this is what Modern Sea Man is trying to do, and I think this is uh, where we'll take this now with with your work in uh, in Germany. Uh, and what you hope to do when you move back to the states, uh, this is all tying in very, very nicely with the uh, you know regenerative agriculture, um, raising animals. Uh, I mean, obviously in, in Bitcoin land it's it's very much around beef, but like you say it could be anything. It could be it could be chickens, it could be goats. Uh, you know, goats are tasty in burgers as well. <laughs> you know, it could be sheep, whatever. What um? What are your plans? You've obviously had a lot of experience the last two years working uh, as you do in Germany in this field. What's um? What's it looking like uh, in the future?
1: So what we're hoping to do. Uh, our plan is to, you know, maybe grab a. I've been pretty nomadic. You know, like I said, I don't really have a lot of stuff, and um, with me and my wife, we're both at the same mindset. Like we don't want a lot of things. We we plan on maybe putting up a little house or a trailer on my parents property uh, temporarily and uh, and just living off of there and trying to just see what we can do with the land with with the piece of property that my parents own and what I'd like to do is put up some fencing around and then maybe grab a you know a cow or three and and start experimenting with that and you know, just growing our food sovereignty over there. My dad's getting a bit older. He he could use a little bit of help around the land to be able to, to keep it going. And what we'd like to do is, is get the property up and running enough just to be a little small farm that that sells some of the products, but more importantly, that where we can grow all of our own food on our own property. Not only that, I, I talked to Texas Slim last week, him and my dad, and we also talked about the local uh, producer that's nearby, and however, I might be able to orange pill them, but not even just orange pill them, but talk to them about where their meat comes from. There's there's this local um, producer there that they're, they're actually getting; they're pretty successful, so so they're expanding out, and I think that their operation is is still small enough that it's it's. You know, I don't know where all of their, their sources are from, but I'm curious to talk to them. You know, I'm curious to get close to them and to be able to be involved and see what we can do to help, help promote, you know, good food and, and squash this whole people eating soy products and, and how damaging that is, you know, kind of. Orangeville people, in that way, to be like, "Hey, man, maybe your immune system would work a bit better if you were eating more real food. Maybe if you put down these packaged items that are just full of false uh, protein, that that you might be able to have kids again." You know, you see so many people my age issues having kids. I know so many who who are trying and they just they just struggle why is that? Why is it all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but why is it getting worse and harder and harder? And there's various things that you can blame this on, you know, different environments, plastics, like there's lots of things to blame, but I think it's pretty evident that our food being as corrupted as it is us eating these waste products, these chemical waste products, uh, hasn't done us any favors at least.
0: Certainly haven't. Uh, you, you might have heard Laser Hoddle talking about um, this a little bit, uh, you know, the down engineering of uh, and hormonal kind of um, manipulation. You know, the amount of estrogen that you'd find in baby formula and, and things like this um, is it, just disgusting. Um, and people like, you know, Texas Slim coming out of left field yeah. middle of last year. I mean, where did he come from? It's just amazing, and he he's just exploded onto the scene, and helped expose what's going on in in the U.S. within the food. He calls it the impact, right? The um, uh, medical, farmer, agricultural complex, <laughs> because they're all very very close to, closely linked. And there's a few string pullers, and Bill Gates obviously being one of them, because he's very much linked to Big Ag with the amount of farmland he owns, and he's very much linked, as we know, into farmer. And how all of this kind of just shifts around in this great, big mill of um, confusion and misinformation and huge amounts of money being made for people that are eating this food that's making them sick, that it, you know it makes them dependent on the the pharmaceutical drugs, and around the circle we go. and it's it's really disgusting. And, and people don't, I don't think people really
1: know this, man. I I went on a trip with a buddy last year and, you know, he, he said something that really stuck with me. Uh, we were talking about food or cooking or recipes or something like that. And he casually is just like, we've been eating those Beyond Meat burgers, you know, uh, and getting into that. And I'm just like a bit shocked because what I've been learning in my experience and been exposed to, I'm just like, and I thought, am I understanding this wrong? I thought those were really bad for you. I said, and he goes, no, they're really good for you. And I I think we got to be patient with people. I think people are being told constantly that, you know, this, I mean, you see it. Um, anything you can do to not eat meat, like the amount of damage that eating meat causes on the environment and to your body and stuff like that it's it's crazy they're being told that by eating meat it's unhealthy for you and by eating meat you're destroying the planet and you get, you you got to i mean some of these things are it is quite a stretch to make those claims and and to follow like what that reasoning is and yeah i i don't know man it's 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 hard to to pull people back sometimes or or to yeah, I don't know. Educate I I mean Yeah, I I just I find it difficult when certain propaganda has been so instilled in certain people and like we have to pull some people much further back from from where they've been, you know, directed into than than it than we realize sometimes.
0: Yeah, we certainly do. Uh, the amount of propaganda around me especially is is crazy It's completely crazy and it's getting to teenagers as well now because you know that they've been told you got to do this to save the planet and it's so it's all because people were trying to make money off of freaking dog shit that cost them very little to produce. It, it, that's all it comes down to every single time. If you just follow the money, it's like, oh right, you can make this look like meat for a fraction of the cost, and then sell it generally for more than you would actually buy meat for. Like th- th- that's another thing.
1: And it's convenient for that company because it's it's a cheap waste product that they you know byproduct of other things that they can use you as the uh, as the landfill to, to get rid of it for them. It is the same thing we would do. I used to work for a brewery and we would give all the spent grain to the nearby um, pig fields uh, uh, and cattle. Uh, they would eat all of that spent grain. I mean, cool, it, why not take something that you would normally throw into a landfill and, and feed it through something, re, repackage it as a product? It makes sense from a business standpoint. It's super efficient and it makes them a lot of money.
0: I guess that would have been the, the finishing grain for those animals because that would have fatten them up quite quickly. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And that's the last thing that goes in the animal before it gets yeah. to the uh, abattoir and before it gets to your shelf. And, uh, yeah, safe wrote about this in, in the Fiat Standard uh, you know, exposed Kellogg. Uh, and, and what was going on there and you know points out that the way you fatten the pig at the farm before slaughter is to give them corn and milk <laughs> what do we eat every morning for breakfast like you know corn and milk uh, what what does that do to you well it, it does not give you any kind of nutrition it just fattens you up it doesn't give you any kind of energy so by the time you've just blindly got up and try- and I've done this. Oh my God. I used to live on this stuff. I, I still, you know, I, this is what I would eat at my desk. I didn't have the privilege of having breakfast at home with my family. No, I had to be in the office by 6.15, 15, six 30. So my breakfast would literally be poured out of a cardboard box and some long lasting, long shelf life, dog shit, milk poured on top of it. And I couldn't figure out why I was getting fat. <laughs> you yeah. Know?
1: But I mean, when i was a kid i we thought the kellogg cereals we were told this was the cornerstone of of your diet the good nutritious breakfast and people wonder why like that was being pushed as you know the whole f- food pyramid thing that was being pushed as this is a way to be healthy and then we find out years later that Oh, actually, this is the cause for many of the diseases and, you know, cancer and obesity and issues that we have now, mental issues that we go through now, uh, was caused by this poor diet being pushed by these, these criminals. And, and now we're being asked to adopt more of their chemical products. And this is why people are resisting because people aren't as stupid as, as they think you are. You know, if people are like waking up, and being like, okay, you know what? Uh, I don't trust you. I will take my health into my own hands. I will take my finances in my own hands. I'll take my education into my own hands, all of this. And yeah, people are opting out because they have completely lost trust in these institutions. It's just gone, man.
0: So you, you're, you're recently married. Um, I won't make any assumptions, but are you planning to to build a family? in the near future
1: yeah a bunch of uh low type time preference acts are, are <laughs> happening to me right now aren't they <laughs> yeah man um for sure uh kids will be in the future we'll see when the timing is right um but i'm very excited to to start this next leg of life you know um
0: yeah this is a, this really is a big this is a big thing in the bitcoin space isn't it yeah, there's this kind of regeneration of the family because I you're younger than me. Um, but I've got some younger friends. I even have some Gen X friends that um, and it makes me really sad, uh, you know, that they, they went through the mental gymnastics of deciding not to have kids, like conscious decision to not have kids. And a lot of It's all down to the, the propaganda, propagandized bullshit, you know, that no, we can't bring kids into a planet that's going to fall out of the sky in the next 20, 30 years. I could never do that. Or I could, uh, you know, I could never be a drain on the system. You know, they've, they've taken that black pill. And just, I, I just cannot imagine how that's going to manifest over the next 10 to 15, 20 years when they get to the point where, well, now you can't actually have kids because it's biologically not possible. There's going to be a, there's going to be a day of reckoning for these people that uh, have, have have realized that they've been kind of hoodwinked into this, and it's um it's really sad. But what I see in the Bitcoin space is the complete opposite. Even the young girls on on um, Bitcoin Twitter are all talking about babies. Can't wait to have babies. Got to read the got to read uh, meet the right man, and uh, can't can't wait to have three, four, five kids. And we're going to be growing up and uh, all our own food, and we're going to be self sovereign, and we're going to. We're never going to send them to state school and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, it might seem to, to outsiders looking in all a little bit uh, maxi-like and um, cultish. It's amazing. It's amazing it, to see this complete counter-narrative to what you're told in the, in the press every day. And it's natural.
1: <laughs> it's not only natural. If you, if you value the future, if you value yourself, you should have kids if you think that you can do a good job of raising these little ones to become capable and competent humans eventually and steer the world into a better place then it's your responsibility to do so how how are how are your future generations going to do if you don't have any kids you don't have any future generations coming it, if you place a value on the future and you want humanity to be in a better place then like Buckle up, man, have some kids and and train them right and and show them, show them what is right and wrong and, and how to build a good positive future and how not to screw it up. You know, it's, you don't have that choice. If you don't have kids, you, you just are, you're opting out by not participating. And then it, and then, yeah, you don't really, you can't really say how the future is going to play out.
0: If you have Bitcoin under your belt, then you you don't feel that um, that fear of, of not being able to uh, to afford them or not being able to you know provide for them because you know that that's, uh, a male instinct is to to provide right and and if you've got Bitcoin on your side, then you have that you have that tool. You you it, it's kind of it's very calming. I found once my conviction levels had kicked in, so many of my anxieties and worries about the future just started melting away. And I could think a lot clearer.
1: It's because you know that that's going to be held on to that value at the very least is going to maintain more likely it will go up because not a lot of people know about it. Not a lot of people have adopted it yet, but at the very least it's going to hold on to itself. not going to be inflated away like every other currency will be right so you can plan for the future and that's the most profound thing about this Mm -hmm. you've seen this happen over the course of the pandemic what happens when all of a sudden you lock people up you change laws every week we couldn't plan a wedding Mm -hmm. we couldn't plan anything we're like trying to start our own businesses We're, we're trying but how can we do that if we don't know what the world's gonna look like in a couple of weeks because it's being artificially manipulated all the time. And when you go into a system where it doesn't change, it's rock solid, you know what it's gonna be like in 10, 20, 50 years. Okay, if I can build on top of that, I know it's still gonna be the same thing, if not better and more innovated upon, then, then you can actually plan for the future. But doing what we've done over you know in in these legacy systems you're you're stuck you're scared you don't know what the future is going to be so you just sit there wait and in order for you to maintain your purchasing power you you've got to do riskier and riskier maneuvers you got to invest in dogecoin you got to go gamble away your money hoping that that it will appreciate in a big way and then you know it's it's a it's a gambling mindset and you saw this happen with Weimar Germany as well everyone knew that their their currency was being pushed pushed further and further it was being inflated more and more and so they had to more gambling was done and more spending on on short term things buying a beer in the morning because at night it's going to be twice as much you know so but if you build on on this more solid th- foundation, then you can delay your gratification towards the long run.
0: Let's move on to uh, the writing. What um, hmm. what made you what made you start tapping away at the keyboard?
1: I guess there's uh, there's quite a few reasons. Um, one of them is a sense of responsibility. We're going through some crazy times, to say the least. Um, I've I've written a lot for myself. I've always done that, and uh, just to kind of help figure things out, um, you know, doing the whole morning pages thing and and just working out my own thoughts, and and that's been very you know self therapeutic. But I found myself more and more writing about. state of the world because I found it so interesting. There's Right now there's never been a more interesting time that we're going through with Bitcoin but also with with just what's going on with the pandemic and what's going on with governments uh, doing what they're doing and so there's a sense of responsibility to document what's going on, what's being heard here. To extend that responsibility beyond just my own selfish reasons, I think it's important for people who are objectively watching the state of the world and what's happening to record and to share with other people by publishing and and throwing these ideas out there. You do the same thing with the podcast, right? I think that's why you're doing the podcast is, is to have these conversations, to put that information out there people can riff off of the ideas that we're talking about here today. They can go talk to their friends or they can create their own content. So I, I think there's a sense of responsibility in, in creating content if, if the ideas that you're espousing are important, if you think that they have value. Um, yeah, I, I think writing is a, it's a really important skill that not a lot of people understand it, it's the ability to communicate effectively. It's, and and creating content, man, it's it's like a modern resume, isn't it? I mean, there might be be a resume that like, that has value still of organizing everything you've done into this concise thing that you can show people, this is who I am. But to really show people on a deeper level, like how you think, how you act, how you behave, how you treat other people, is the content you produce. We live in this world where not everyone needs to do this. You don't need to make your life public, but you can selectively make parts of your life public and and refer people, hey, you wanna know who I am? This is the content that I produce. And so if you like it, right on. And, uh, and also gaining a following, gaining some influence, I think also shows, okay, like there's something that this guy or gal is spitting out that uh, is resonating with people and if he can resonate with people then you know he, he can lead people along and I don't I don't know where this is going to lead but I know that by not doing anything by sitting back and keeping just my thoughts myself it's not going to go anywhere anywhere either does that make sense
0: makes a lot of sense and yeah it, it, it it's the same thing other podcasters say, other writers say, you know, you, you reach a point where you feel an obligation, uh, you know, that there's, it, it must come with a certain point of conviction, I think, um, mm. because if you if you didn't have that conviction, you wouldn't be able to put yourself out there. It, it would just be impossible. You, you'd be a charlatan. Otherwise, you know, yeah. you'd just be another shill, another salesperson. And that, that's what's very different about the Bitcoin space. You know, uh, I've said before. You know, shitcoins have influencers. Bitcoin have educators, uh, because these these are educational pods. I, I like to think that they're just long form conversations that people can tune into and dip in and out of, and and get the uh, the, the thoughts from the guests uh, that that come on, and then reach out to them and, like you said, riff off of that and go and have another conversation about it in a you know a different location, different context, maybe a, a new. um star gets aligned in somebody else's mind and they can then take that in their own direction and that's going to help them with their own conviction about bitcoin and then they're going to start either writing or singing and dancing or starting a podcast or whatever it might be you know you you don't stop this thing
1: and and it helps you learn along the way as well i mean probably like this podcast obviously like is has been your number one source of educational material, right? Totally. You work out your own thoughts and and then other people, you know, give some ideas that you riff off of. And it's the best way to learn is is to to try to teach others. And yeah. then yeah, if I if I can have so some of the content that I've done is it's just ideas that I've been trying to explain to other people. And then it's okay, if I can write this down. Package this up, then I can just have a piece of content that I can refer people to. This is a common asked question. The Cantillon effect and it was a was a big uh, development in my understanding of of how inflation is uh, harms the little guy and is just beneficial for the ones at the top. You know, things like that.
0: Have you had any success with friends or family that have uh, perhaps read the article and learned about the Cantillon effect and like, you know, what, what are you actually talking about here, Ryan? Or like, I had no idea of this, um, you know, tell me more. What what kind of, because we we obviously do these things for our nearest and dearest, but they're the ones that end up coming to it the latest, unfortunately. That that just seems to be the way, uh, you know, even high profo, pro, profile writers in the space you know, that the, the parents or brothers and sisters, they still don't want to know. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? No, no. like, uh, but you, you draw in all of these other crazies like us from around the world. They're like, yeah, just feed me more of this stuff. So what, what, what kind of um, response have you had so far?
1: Um, it's been pretty minimal. You know, I, I haven't really advertised it too much. I kind of wanted to get a bit more under my belt life's getting pretty busy too so it's finding it's difficult finding some time to be able to do this but but i it's important that i started you know that's that's it's been something that i've wanted to do for a really long time and yeah so the best thing i can hope for is that one of these articles catches on you know there is this story of uh I forget where that comes from, but like a, a photography class where the guy tells the class half of you will be graded on one picture. You, you just make the best picture that you possibly can. The other half, you're gonna be graded on the quantity of pictures. You take as many pictures as you can and you'll be graded You know, in that way. The people who did the quantity of pictures ended up having much better uh, quality pictures in the end, because they they weren't worried about the quality that that came eventually, and writing is important to me, and I want to develop that skill better. And so, the only way that I can do it is to go out there, put it, publish it, have it be criticized by whoever ends up coming across it, and uh, and then fine tuning it over the years as as it goes on. So, when people come across it, great. You know, I, I think uh, I think it helps my family specifically. Understand me a little bit better, and at, at least in terms of this crazy new thing, I can't shut up about, you know. And uh, th- this way, all of our conversations don't have to be completely consumed by this. They can, they can just, uh, they can understand what my latest uh, this week's thoughts uh, thoughts were like. Well, it was last week. I I wrote a bit about the Freedom Convoy and why this is so important, and you know, I run into a lot of people who are who are trying to disparage the idea of freedom, the idea of this convoy being just arrest them, like throw them in jail and stuff like that. And it's like, no, I'm sorry, man. Like you have no idea how important this is. And yeah, it, it, it's a whole sense of responsibility. I, I think it's, if you have something that you believe in and believe needs to be said, uh, yeah, don't hide it in some way. You have to go out there and, uh, and speak your truth.
0: And uh, we, let, let's close this out on the, the situation in Germany. I mean, we, we have a young man born in the land of the free, mm. became a digital nomad, you know, like had wings, flew around the world doing whatever he wanted to do, had freed himself, found financial freedom. Now, like, um, for, for those plebs in the U.S. especially that might not know what's going on on in some of these European countries, what is going on? What is life like in Germany right now, day to day?
1: My parents came and visited the other week. We spent a week kind of traveling around Germany. I think their eyes were really opened. You know, they, I don't like to give anyone's medical information out voluntarily. you know, but let's say that they they are able to participate in society a little bit more than most people and they still could not believe what was going on you know um we tried to get into restaurants uh turned away for not having the right kind of mass so since the since the start of the pandemic germany has had mass mandates for all indoor establishments and uh, within like city limits, you know, if you're close proximity to people outside as well, you need to be wearing a mask. They quickly made sure that it has to be FFP2. And so since I've been here, everyone's been masked up. There's There hasn't been any pullback on any of the laws, really. They've only become stricter and stricter. And I know you've seen some of this going on in France as well. Um, it was astounding to me when, when you kind of told me about one of your recent trips and, and the measurements that they were were putting to make sure that you were in the place where you were supposed to be. And yeah, they when all of the other countries all around um, seem to be accepting that people get sick and that viruses are gonna be here and we have to, try to allow social creatures to be social creatures and back off of these mandates. All of these countries around are backing off. It seems like these ones are like Germany, like France are doubling down. And it's scary, man. Um, Yeah, uh, there's unvaccinated people can't get into any shops. They can't go into any restaurants. That's been the case for a long time now. And even if you're, if you've got triple shots, there's like the 2G plus rule, which means you need to be all up to date with your shots and you have to come in with a negative test. So in order to really do anything that you've been able to do before, if you're coming into a public establishment, you need to first schedule like, which takes about an hour to go into a legitimate testing facility, get a legitimate test and all the paperwork and go through this whole process. um, And then show that you, you are up to date with the standards of the state medically by either showing a QR code or papers, and it's just, you, it's proof that you've been compliant. It's proof that you've done what we are requiring you to do. And there's nothing vaguely appropriate about that. I, if you would have said this is gonna be the state in two years, two years back, you would lose your mind and never believe it. And I, I just, yeah, I, I can't believe what kind of a state we're in. And we're not alone, Germany, France, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, you are seeing the pushback and that's what gives me hope. But the fact that this is going on and that people are saying still, it's for the greater good, even though this narrative has completely crumbled and they're still hanging on to that. It just astounds me, you know?
0: You got Austria right next door and it doesn't get more like, Austria and Germany, man. Like this we've been here before, uh, and people tell me all the time, like, "Oh no, you can't compare, you can't draw a straight line. I'm like, "Fuck, I can't <laughs> how can you not
1: fine we we don't have genocide yet fine it's It's different in that way, but the 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 parallels, the how we got to that point, the discrimination against a specific group of people, that is the exact same it's yeah, I know it It was tragic what happened. We're not denying that. We're actually emphasizing how dangerous this mentality can be. And I know like, yeah, you're right. People don't want to hear that. They get super offended, but it's like, how do you think they got there? What were the steps that it took? And, and seeing, seeing these people who, they just, they obey. This is the law you go ahead and you obey the law. And I, I have all these people like business owners, I'm like, aren't you pushing against the this in any way? And they, their brain just kind of breaks. They just don't, they can't comprehend that. It's a big difference between Europeans and Americans. Americans are very disagreeable, anti-authoritarian. And it seems like there's this big, uh, there's this idea in Europe that, you know, there's the law, there's the state, And we are under them and we, they structure us. Whereas the state is, uh, the United States are more, everyone's equal. We make the laws. There's no man that's higher than any other. And that's being challenged as well. But I think that's where a lot of these differences come from and why it's so easy to implement these draconian measures and why people accept them you know that if if the people pushed back and refuse to accept this then it would never work out uh, but but it's because they're like oh these are the laws and we have to go through with this and we have to be compliant and obey and and if the most dangerous part is when they say if if everyone would just comply then we could go back to normal and that's such a lie and you, you because many people did and they just keep pushing harder and harder.
0: That's the biggest one. That's <laughs> that's. I, I'm not sure how many people will will ever understand that um, because they've just been conditioned to think that way. I mean, I, I don't know how much of this is a hangover from like the the two catastrophic wars that were, you know, uh, you know in Europe. I mean, I know there were world wars, but primarily in Europe, the the amount of destruction. The, uh, the amount of families that were completely destroyed, the, the uh, well, talking with Lauren earlier, the, the Iron Curtain through Germany, for example, like you have a huge amount of that country that were brought up under communism and that they still remember. There's Gen Xers that still remember those times. And maybe there's a like something in the back of um, people's brains. Of course, you don't ever want to go back to that ever. So if we just comply, we'll never go back to that. But it's the complete opposite. Yeah, that's true. Um, If you comply, you will go back to that. That that's what communism is. That's what totalitarianism is. And this is what the people in power ultimately want It's it's they've shown their hand, like you said, they've completely shown their hand, we want more power. No one can honestly say this is about our health anymore.
1: Need to call these institutions out for what they are. These are cartels. You know, it, it's 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 enforcement by a monopoly on violence that says if you don't do what we say, we have the power to destroy your life by throwing you in jail, or worse. And so comply or face violence. And it's no way that we want our future to be. Right? And that's why this freedom movement is so important. That's why this what's going on in Canada is so critical. Don't, don't, you know, disparage this by being a bunch of disagreeable racists and like, come on, man, this is, this is far too important to, to, uh, to not root for.
0: It's sparked. Um, there's a movement now in Paris, uh, which is getting shut down pretty quickly. Uh, It's amazing how the police have tanks all of a sudden. Like, when did that happen? (laughs) That was
1: a military thing. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. No, now the police have tanks. And no one, like, that's the big question for me. Like, hang on. When did that become a thing? Uh, Australia, huge, huge protests, uh, huge movement um, in Canberra over the weekend. Uh, New Zealand, I saw some protests. They're
1: standing out in the rain during, like, hurricane weather and stuff like that. And they're not moving. Yeah, what's happening in New Zealand is is really strong and powerful, especially seeing how the measures that that psychopath has has implemented among her people over the past two years.
0: But she says it with a smile, Ryan. So she can can say whatever she wants as long as she's smiling
1: and talking to you like
0: you're a four year old. This is why it's amazing that anybody can listen to that woman. She smiles and patronizes, and every word that comes out of her mouth. She's nodding and smiling. It's like she's been trained to do it, and it's disgusting. Yeah, I got a lot of
1: friends there. We, we lived there for almost two years, and, yeah, I got a lot of friends there, and, yeah, I feel for them, you know, but they, they go right along with it, and it's...
0: This is what I don't get, like New Zealanders. Yeah. New Zealanders, like it's strong, pioneering, like the newest yeah. country, basically out there, to just what's happened? You know, it makes no sense. And the Maoris, like the Maori culture there,
1: they're like, they're the most disagreeable. They're the ones fighting against us more than anyone.
0: Right, they've got to be it's the powerful to see. Up. Yeah,
1: yeah. You see I, the same in Australia too.
0: Right, freedom. That's it. That's all people want. Autonomy of choice. I don't know why
1: that's become a dir- dirty word so suddenly, you know? Yeah, I, I don't get it.
2: Well, it's all- it's
1: this whole mentality of you pick your side, and my side's disparaging freedom at the moment. Freedom's like just a, a tool for a bunch of racist people to say that they can do whatever they want. Yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, those people will find Bitcoin. There's no doubt. Mm. Because if, it, it, you know what, once they've um, taken the freedom orange pill, that they'll find the tool. Yeah, you know, and it's there. It's it's and it's waiting. It's it's available. It's permissionless. We we know all of this, and they'll they'll find the content. It's not hidden. It's out in the open. Every negative article that gets written about it is game theoretical in its own right. Like you yeah, know, yeah, bring it on. Put it on the front pages. Tell everybody how bad Bitcoin is. How it's bad for um, the environment. How it's only used by terrorists and you know whatever. Like tell them, tell them that because some people will look under the lid because they don't trust yeah. you anymore.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it.
0: Well, Brian, if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Oh,
1: this question, huh? Yeah, I've thought about this too selfishly i'd like the first thing that comes to my mind is my father-in-law but that's just you know if you got one orange pill left to give you you want to help the most amount of people that would just make my life a whole lot easier <laughs> um yeah i i think one one name that comes to mind i guess is bernie sanders but i hate the idea of giving that to a politician. I'd rather have every politician who's pushed for some of these crazy ideas to uh, just fall by the wayside as the state continues to crumble. Um, But what's interesting about him is that he identifies the problem, it seems like, correctly. His solutions are just absurd and wrong. Um, But he's got a big following among a lot of people. And I don't know. But yeah, I I hate the idea of giving an orange pill to a politician that just kind of grosses me out. You know who I thought though, what I thought would be really interesting would be um, Martin Scorsese, kind of a creative one. I love his films and I would love to see just this cypherpunk, you know, um, fall of the state type of Goodfellas film, him putting out something like that. um, I don't know with the with the cypherpunks or something like that would be would be awesome. And I think a medium like that, like a good movie to expose the state for the corrupt cartel that they are um, in such a way, like, I think that would be awesome, just kind of like a gangster film, uh, showing these politicians for, for exactly, you know, who they are and lifting that curtain and, and exposing them. Uh, I think that might be pretty powerful as well. So I'll say that
0: that's a cool one our time will come right you know once i mean hollywood yeah, needs it. a good hollywood needs a good clear out too uh, everybody yeah, knows no that <laughs> my goodness that place that place needs just to be completely uh, rebuilt um and it will be decentralized kind of uh, film platforms and independent films this is what i love about you know when you project out five to ten years people talk about art and music and uh, and, and films now, uh, of course, it's all gonna get redefined and it's all gonna be built on truth uh, because Bitcoiners, these creatives, will will find these passion projects and then we'll make it happen because they always do. Uh, the, the writing we've already seen, the writing has started to change. Uh, philosophy is coming back around to be front and center of everybody's minds after being in Bitcoin for a few years. Uh, You know, Stacy Herbert calls it Renaissance 2.0, and it's a brilliant analogy.
1: Hollywood being the fakest, you know, concept that we could ever have. If you're if you're gonna build a future based on truth and just slashing and burning anything that's fake or false or built on lies like that's hollywood so i mean
0: come on if anybody is still questioning what's going on even after disney released the fauci (laughs) film i mean what yeah
2: (laughs) what this
1: isn't a conspiracy anymore well it might you can call it conspiracy but then that's another word that's been like co-opted and you know Mm -hmm. soiled to be this dirty world no people conspire to do things and if you don't think that that happens then you're you know you're not paying attention
0: this- well even a, a team meeting in a build in, in like your ex like that's a you conspiring to do whatever right it doesn't matter yeah. you're conspiring to plan the christmas party yeah like, you know that's what conspiring is and i can theorize about what's going on in that office or i wonder if they're planning the Christmas party, I'm a conspiracy theorist. At that point, <laughs> this, but... that's what we do. We,
1: theor- we theorize on everything, and then Absolutely. and then we we bring up all the evidence to see. Okay, does this make sense? Is this theory stand on its own two legs? If it does, great. If it doesn't, that's why these conspiracies don't die. They would die. We probably landed on the moon, you know, because we we that seems like that has happened, you know, and but. <laughs> I don't know. There's some shady stuff with the assassination of JFK. That one hasn't really been resolved yet. So maybe you know, it's the truth will come out, and and that's why it's so important that we continue to have all of these discussions. We continue to to talk about these topics. And I encourage anyone who's listening, if you if you got something to say, if you have some ideas, put it out there. Even if it's just talking to your friends about it or making some content, publishing some stuff, or just sharing certain other people's things that resonate well with you, do it, man. Um, If it's an important topic that needs to be talked about, throw it out there because if you don't and you just remain silent, then you let the narrative be written out for you. And that's how we get to these places where we're like, how did we get here? Uh, who, Who wrote this story for us? I don't believe any of this.
0: Where can people come and find you?
1: I guess just Twitter, rwslot, R-W-S-L-O-T. Um I don't tweet so much. Uh, I want to I up that a little bit. You can check out my Substack as well, rianslot.substack.com. And, yeah, please feel free to reach out. Um, if you want to say what my job is, it's just, you know, I just like talking to people about this type of thing, man. I, I like expanding my own ideas and, and spreading truth out into the world, you know, slashing and burning any of these lies that are propagated by, by whoever and, and exposing truth in any way that we can. So yeah, reach out and, um, yeah, that's all I got. Thanks for this awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it, Daniel. And, um, yeah, Until next time.
0: Love it, mate. Thank you very much. And for for anybody that is in the States and wants to learn more about your ideas for, um, you know, the regen ag and and anything like that, give them a timeline and um, they might be able to reach out and help you out in some way.
1: Yeah, so we're we're escaping uh, communist (laughs) Germany here coming up. we're going to head to the Bitcoin conference. So I will be there. If anyone else is going there, please let's meet up. Let's have a beer and a steak. And uh, after Miami in first or second week in August or uh, April, we will be heading up to the Midwest. So we'll be there around then. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll see you soon and cheers everyone. Appreciate it.
0: Well, Good luck with the um, the new chapter. All the best. I know you're newly married and you're making a big life change. You're getting across to the land of the free. Fingers crossed. Uh, big things to come. Watch this space. Appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks, friends. See you. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening and thank you again, Ryan, for giving up your time to come on and uh, talk through these subjects, uh, these... Um, Big ideas, this this idea of you needing to step up and contribute to the space because you've found the conviction and now you've found the responsibility, or you feel the responsibility, excuse me. So many of us are stuck in this kind of um, quandary, I guess, of I see this, now what? Because I cannot unsee it and I want to help as many people as possible, you're not alone. Get to it, plebs. There's nothing more important. This is it. This is it. There is nothing else. This is it. This is our only way out. Look what's going on. (laughs) Nothing really more to say about that. That's, um... Yes. Step up. Let's do it. Uh, Thank you again, everybody, uh, for listening, for sharing, for liking, for retweeting, streaming, whatever it is you're doing. Thanks again to the show sponsors. You know who they are. You can find them in the show link, in in the show notes. All the links are there. That's Swan Bitcoin. That's Bitcoin Reserve. That's Relay. That's Coin Corner. And, of course, Shift Crypto. Take control. Please take control, guys. Take control of your coins and uh, get to the conference you know what to do catch you on the next one guys thanks for listening